Hey everyone, this is Jason from B2B Better. It's that time of year where marketers across the world are staring at their 2024 budget spreadsheets and asking themselves, is that six-figure investment into a single trade show really worth it? Or could we be spending it better? That's what me and today's guest try to answer. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Leslie Vanetz, founder of Sales Team Builder, who has coordinated her fair share of trade show conferences over the years. We sat down to discuss why a lot of trade show activations fail to deliver return on investment how to strategize for brand awareness versus pipeline generation, and why ego plays a big role in decisions around marketing spend. This episode, I'm excited to say, is also sponsored by HubSpot. Now, onto the show. So we're here today to talk a little bit about B2B marketing events. It's like an opportune time to be talking about this. It's coming up to, no, we are in Q4 now at the time of of recording this. People are doing budgets, thinking about where should we be putting our marketing dollars in 2024. And I'm sure on a lot of uh, spreadsheets out there, marketers are looking at a big fat number associated to like the trade show of the year, the one that they go to every single year. I know you've been to a lot of these and you work with a lot of clients who do make these big investments into trade shows and conferences. Talk to me a little bit about what you think is broken in the way that companies approach these kind of high ticket B2B trade events. I'm super excited for this topic. It's something that I'm having a lot of clients ask for help on and generally hearing from folks, and I know you are too, that they're just not getting the results from events or event budgets that they used to. I think a couple of things are broken, but one of them is folks not going into an event with really clear metrics of what success looks like. And one of the questions that I ask my clients to start the conversation is, help me understand if this is a marketing activity or a sales activity. And I'd say that's one of the biggest things that is broken is because it's often marketing budgets, but then we're expected to set meetings and generate revenue off of it versus traditional marketing activities like brand awareness. So I think one of the things that's broken is going into the event, understanding is the purpose brand awareness, is the purpose demand gen, or is the purpose very sales-led, meaning we are using it to meet with clients on site in purpose and drive opportunities forward. Uh, And without that type of clarity, it's going to be pretty hard to determine if an event was actually successful or not and what that measure of success across the org is. Could you, so you've outlined three categories of events there. You've got the brand awareness events, you've got the demand gen events, and then you've got, I guess, what you would consider like your account-based marketing slash sales enablement events, helping sales get in front of their prospective customers or existing customers as a means of nurturing the relationship and trying to drive towards a deal. And I agree with you. I think those are very distinct types of events. What are some of the kind of metrics that you think we should be looking at against each of those types of events? Yeah. So brand awareness, full disclosure, marketing is not my sweet spot. So I'm not going to put metrics on marketing people. But I I think when I categorize the three events, uh, if you're going for brand awareness, that's going to be investing in the huge booth, yep. right? That is going to be what most people 
think of when they think of attending a big conference or a trade show. You have the big booth and the fancy branding and you are there to be seen. You want people to know that you are making that investment. And on the opposite side, it's probably a good litmus test to see if you're attending an event for brand awareness. If when deciding whether or not to invest in the event, people's pushback is it'll look bad if we're not there. People will question how we're doing if we downsize our booth. That means you're probably just going for the, the look, the vibe of it. What I think we see for demand gen events is a more concerted effort to drive people to the booth. It's less about just being there and it's more about creating those specific activities that drive people to the booth, drive them to get live demos on site, or drive them to sign up to, to agree to follow up after the event. I'm not seeing that be a super successful strategy anymore. What I'm working with my clients on is more of a sales-led approach to events or an event-led outbound approach is, is maybe a way to, to turn the phrase. And honestly, I'm recommending a lot of my clients don't actually pay for booths at events and instead go to events uh, as attendees so that they can focus more on meaningful networking interactions. They can be pre-scheduling those. They can be showing up into the sessions where their best prospects are speaking. Just a more focused but more intentional approach, maybe a, a quality versus a quantity approach to events. And maybe instead of spending those budgets on a big booth, you are spending them hosting a dinner or hosting a networking event or doing something that's a little bit more memorable, but again, more intentional, more quality be quantity. So you talked a little bit about this kind of, it's coming out of the marketing budget, yet for all intents and purposes, it's a kind of sales-led event, clearly demonstrating some kind of disconnect between these two functions within the organization. Yeah. I'm curious to get your perspective on how you think this type of situation occurs, right? How do we get to a point where marketing is on the hook for paying out of their budget for this activity that for all intents and purposes is something that really only sales and dare I say kind of leadership want to do? I would challenge even the phrasing of that statement but it's like marketing's budget paying for sales. It's not marketing budgets. It's the organization's budget. And all there should be a clear organizational goal that all business units are working towards. And specifically, if you look at marketing and sales, like they're all in the commercial org. So that should be even more clear and precise. So I would push back against even thinking about it as a marketing budget versus a sales budget. It's a commercial budget and where should we be spending it to achieve commercial outcomes? And I think that's where a lot of the disconnect occurs. We're seeing more marketing teams now than ever have specific numbers, like have hard quota numbers of pipeline that they need to influence or MQLs or SQR, whatever it is, but we're seeing marketing own hard quotas more now than we ever have before. And I personally think that's great. Love to see it as a lifelong salesperson, some of that shared ownership. But the disconnect, Jason, really 
comes from understanding what is the most important outcome that the commercial organization is trying to achieve. And if you are a newer organization, maybe the right outcome to achieve is brand awareness. Like maybe that is the best thing to do at the event is just get on people's radars so that they can go back to their office and and Google and see what you do. If you are a later stage organization where you have that brand awareness or maybe more from a sales perspective, you have a very clear and concise definition of who your ideal customer profile is. I think it is a misuse of funds to go strictly for brand awareness. You know who you should be having conversations with. So the focus of the event should not be, can I get in front of 10,000 people? It should be, here's 100 of those 10,000 that would be just dreamy to be able to have a conversation with. And when you think about mapping out the ROI from the event, if you can have, if you can use the event to start conversations with a hundred of your ideal prospects, and let's say half of them actually respond and are interested in having a dialogue with you. And from there, let's use horrible ratios. Let's say that only 30% of those ultimately become an opportunity and only 10% close. You're still then getting maybe five to 10 deals out of the event. And for most organizations that have like a five, five figure plus ACV, that's a pretty like great ROI and it's much more measurable than like I scanned a thousand badges. Having worked in a kind of large enterprise solutions provider for a number of years and being ultimately accountable for the successful activation of large trade show events, I think one of the areas that I struggled with, and I think it talks to your point here about how do you consider marketing and sales as functions, one as as part of one unit or as two separate things. One of the kind of troubles that I always faced was, yes, marketing is looked to as the person, as the function ultimately responsible for the delivery of this activation, this big trade show we're going to go to, and theoretically is making, is calling the shots. Mm-hmm. But that didn't extend to the shot or the the shot call of should we be doing this event at all? And I always found myself going up against this almost inertia within the organization that we've just been doing this for a long time. We've been going to this event for twenty years, and if we don't go to use your language, people are going to say stuff about us. It's going to look bad. People are going to think that something's wrong. So that almost justifies the the spend and as a marketer you get almost overruled right like even if you're going to them and you're saying all this kind of good stuff like we can definitely activate the event but we should be activating it in a different way that doesn't punch such a massive hole in our budget there is this kind of built-in resistance from sales because this is like their one opportunity a year to actually get in front of people and shake hands and kiss babies and from leadership who don't want anyone to consider something's going wrong or anything's untoward within the organization. I don't know if any of that kind of gives you, um, if, if you can share any insights on that, on like how as a marketer or someone ultimately accountable for running these events within the organization, you can you know, activate like a bit of a mindset shift on we can be doing this event, but we should be doing it differently. Like how do you go about making that business case? Mm, and that's a tough one. 
And maybe just to give folks a bit of context of why we decided to have a conversation about events specifically today, it isn't just the work I'm doing now helping clients build event-led sequences and I host my own events. It's also that the first job I had, I stayed at for eight years. So really spent my 20s there, was for a global business intelligence organization that hosted a ton of executive events. So I was supporting, working on site at 30 to 50 events a year. Every company I work at has had a business unit that hosted events. I worked at a startup. I was employee number one, and it was an event startup. Like I was responsible for creating the MVP to get people to give me the money to attend the events. So I've been on both sides of it. I have gotten attendees to events. I've got sponsors to events. I've hosted my own events. I've had to spend budgets both as a head of marketing and as a head of sales. I feel like the context is helpful in saying that marketing folks, if the budget is yours, that means it is ultimately your responsibility to business, to make a business case that creates a compelling argument for folks to make a different choice. And if the pushback that you are getting is from sales, you need to speak directly to what salespeople care most about which is certainly there's going to be some ego at play, the appearance. We got to be honest. You got to take that into account. And then their money. And that's going to be what leadership cares about as well. So my recommendation is that if you are coming up against that type of pushback, create a business plan that would allow you to still attend the event, but repurpose the budgets and ways that you might want to repurpose it are uh, bringing more salespeople so that there is a bigger presence on site, but it's not a presence sitting behind a booth. It's a presence out on the trade shore conference floor. I am also seeing a ton of success with those event-led outbound sequences that start before the event. The event is off touch point in the sequence and they continue after the event. An amazing way that marketing can contribute to those is doing a direct mail touch point, like supporting the sales team by having a really thoughtful, creative, marketing-led touch point in there that is, is direct mail. And what I've been seeing the last couple of years that I love and the ROI is really strong on is hosting something outside of the event, like a comedy roast, like bowling, like a happy hour, something that is a bit more memorable and that you as the vendor are in more control of than just paying to set up your booth in a trade show hall of a hundred other booths. Hey, it's me again. If you're thinking about launching a podcast to help you win new clients, better activate in-person events, conduct customer research, or build brand awareness, you're in luck. You can book 60 minutes with me to brainstorm what it will take to get started. No commitment, no charge. Simply visit www.b2b-better.com forward slash podcast assessment. There's also a link in the description of this episode. Now back to the show.
So I, I want to come back to the kind of uh, the activating events around the main event, because I totally agree with you. Oh. As far as marketing dollars go, if I could spend a hundred grand on a single booth at one trade show in a year, or spend 10 grand at 10 events over the course of a year, but activated in a much more kind of intimate and personalized way, definitely my money's going on the ladder. But would you say there is any business case at this point for organizations to be investing in these big ticket trade show booths? What In what kind of context does that make sense? There's definitely situations where it makes sense. I think early stage organizations that simply need people to talk about them, it makes a lot of sense. And the first thing that actually came into my mind was a company called Brex. They are, they're a competitor to, I can't even remember the company, but the thing that they do is they try to do expense management for companies. So like you would have the app on your phone as an employee and you'd put everything through Expensify, their competitor to Expensify. And they had a huge booth at Saster two years ago, huge. And it was fun. Like they created experiential opportunities within the booth. They never sold. So people weren't afraid of being in the booth. And the result was that they had a ton of user-generated content. There was a ton of stuff all over social about them afterwards because of all these experiential marketing. They had a, a magician that was going around. Like they just, they made it so fun and they made it so easy for people to want to be at the booth and then to want to talk about them. I think that is a great example of coming up against a industry leader in a category and your new player and wanting to just get that attention, get that buzz. I think they played that really well. I also see it work really well in non-SaaS spaces that have physical goods. There's a real reason if you have physical goods to have a trade show booth. If you are in a furniture fixture equipment industry and people want to come in and touch your things, you're going to need to have a, a booth. So I'm, I'm not saying no booths ever. But I do think know your audience and have a very clear reason for the value that having a booth specifically is going to bring. So not attending the event or not attending the event, but if you're deciding to attend the event, invest in a booth, why? I love that we're talking about this because I think a lot of people who listen to B2B Better and are in a situation where they are either a solo marketer or part of a small team and they're trying to do a lot with a little. And it's particularly in industries that I would consider like legacy or traditional industries. So not SaaS, right? Not software. So you work in construction or manufacturing or I don't know, deep sea drilling equipment, like whatever it is. The energy utility is another great example. These types of industries have a very established and old school playbook. And it's very easy to fall into this repetitive pattern of, yes, we go to this big trade show every year. We get the same booth every year. We look like everybody else, but hey, at least our sales team are like coming on. At least our sales team are coming and they're shaking hands with people. And what we're yeah. saying here is give yourself permission to think a little bit outside of the box. And as you say, really consider the why are we doing this and what is going to enable us to stand out. And it doesn't have to be that much, right? If I remember there's a big trade show I go to every year in September called IBC, big broadcast media uh, show. So you get people who've got 
broadcast technology like satellites and antennas and you get people who are developing like broadcast graphic solutions it's pretty pretty kind of old school like legacy traditional broadcast media and i remember there was a a brand who opted to not have a booth one year but instead sponsor the kind of coffee area like within this trade show in, in one of the halls and it was all branded up the carpet was all in their colors with their logos on it all the cups had their logo printed onto it they were giving away merch as people were taking their coffees and it was a standout success right because what do people want when they go to these trade shows they want to be fed and they want to be watered because it's hard walking from booth to booth and being on your feet all day and you want a place to rest and answer a few emails yep. and they were and they had their sales team um, and their leadership team strategically placed around this area not to go and sell as you rightly say but to network right just like if you were attending any kind of networking event try and build connections and speaking to the ceo after the show it was a standout success and they were able to demonstrate roi and the number of new relationships they were able to build relevant qualified relationships and i thought that was a really interesting kind of way of thinking outside of the box not like in a crazy way we're not doing anything so radical and unknown to our sector it's going to raise eyebrows and make people think what the hell are they doing but in a way that did actually enable them to generate some return on the investment over years where they just gone for the yeah. traditional booth smart approach memorable and i i think jason like two of the big mistakes that i see people make who are investing in events one is that they are treating it like a marketing event up front but then they're bringing salespeople on site and then they're letting their salespeople like hard sell. And it's such, it is such a turnoff. It's such a turnoff. Um, nobody wants to go to your booth and be talked at. Like <laughs> literally nobody. I think a, a common mentality is marketing pays for these booths. They're staffed by maybe a blend of marketing and salespeople. And the default position on site is scan badges. And the moment somebody walks into the space, just feature dump on them. And it's so gross. And it's not like we know that's not how prospects and customers like to be treated. But somehow the moment folks walk into a trade show hall, that's that's the mentality they have. That's the position they take. So I think that is a huge mistake. And the other huge mistake I see folks making is treating events as a single touch point. They're like, don't really prepare for them beforehand. They show up on site, they take that like hard sell badge scan approach, and then maybe marketing will send one to two generic emails after the event. And then that's it. Instead of viewing the event as a single touch point, in that 12 to 20 touch point sequence of outreach that we know is required to get the attention and to earn the right to the time of the prospects we most want to do business with. I'm sure people listening to to, to you talk here are probably nodding their heads furiously and, and agreeing with you, recognizing <laughs> these problems as the ones that they're experiencing year after year. And we've talked a little bit about this kind of in the abstract, but to ask you directly, what is the answer then? Like, how do we solve this problem of making these huge investments and not being able to really validate the results we get off the back of them? Yeah, so folks are planning right now for the events that they're going to go to in 24. 
I would be extremely clear about the one result, the number one top result that you want to get for each event. And each event doesn't have to be the same. One can be a marketing brand activation event. Maybe you try another one that is more of a sales-led event. Like Maybe you do some maybe testing, but have total clarity about what each event is meant to do for your organization. And then you need to align the team to do that. So Honestly, if it is an event for brand activation, start asking tough questions like, do we really need salespeople here? And if we do bring salespeople, who's going to be responsible for training them on how to not be gross and turn off our customers? If it's a sales event, what role does marketing play? Are they just like a support staff? And is that the best use of our VP of marketing's time? Or maybe should we have somebody that just does an event operations role, but really sales is responsible for the outcomes of this? So I think the number one most important thing that you can do is have a very clear key result area for every single event. And then with that level of clarity, decide the other metrics that you're going to look at for the event and who should be on site to deliver against those. So you've been quite specific about picking one North Star goal, right? That's assigned to each of these events. And I love that because I love simplicity and I hate it when you're building out marketing campaigns. I've got a dozen or dozen different things that we want to be shooting for with this one campaign. Sure, you can have milestones and indicators to suggest that you're on the way to your North Star metric, but just having one core thing, this is how we're going to determine whether this has been a success or a failure. I love that. I guess the follow-on question then is like, how do you know what is that goal? Because as you said, like default CEO, on a CEO, I don't want to broad stroke CEOs in a bad light, but like broad, someone of authority within the organization is saying, okay, badge scans, right? We've got our North Star metric. That's what we're going to be shooting for. Is that the right thing? I don't know. Like, how do we figure that out? I think like you have to keep asking why, like why badge scans? Hmm. How many badge scans has it taken us in the past to generate one deal? How many badge scans do we anticipate getting at this event? Based on who's attending this event, does that change how many badge scans it will need to get to the point where we have enough demos to get enough opportunities open to get enough deals in the pipeline. Okay, how many people do we need on site to get that many badge scans? Okay, instead of paying for three headcount to scan badges, would it not make more sense to take a approach where we have our director of sales on site actually just taking 10 meetings with high priority clients, because we know that if we can get in front of a client, we have a 50% conversion rate, right? So I, I would say, I think we often, Jason, look at things maybe a bit siloed instead of looking at the full strategic map. Like it's the burden of comparison. Like it's really easy to compare maybe like like badge scans with like how many, I don't know, with like how many people said yes to a demo on site because it's just still people coming into your booth. It's much harder to compare badge scans 
to 10 preset meetings with your ICP because they're different motions and they require different people in the organization. And one is a bit loosey-goosey over here and one is really small and we, we have to get it right and we have to get it right before the event even starts. Uh, I know that this is not the advice that the people are here for because it's tough to do, but it requires pushback. And the only way I found to effectively push back against executives and stubborn salespeople is to be like, help me understand. Tell me more. Why do you think that would work? If we were going to spend our money there, hypothetically, where else would you want to spend it? Who would you see owning that? Who's best positioned to drive that? Like, Just keep asking questions so that you don't have to convince them their idea is bad. They get an opportunity to convince themselves that there might be some room for improvement. It's such a powerful but simple question, right? Why? And when you were saying there about why do we want to cap why do we want to capture kind of badges? Or why do we want to scan badges? And what is the number of badges that we're gonna to need to capture? What that kind of made me think is how many organizations out there have got the infrastructure in place to really be able to answer that question, you know, confidently. Like historically, these events that we've gone to, we've scanned a ton of badges. How many of them have actually gone through and all the way to opportunity and then to lead uh, to lead opportunity and then all the way to conversion? I would imagine yeah. a lot of organizations would actually struggle to be able to answer that question. And then that makes you think, okay, if we don't have the infrastructure in place to track that, then we're almost set up for failure right from the off. Because if we're saying we're scanning badges, that's the success, success metric. And we want to see how many of them go into, into pipeline, into revenue. We're not going to be able to tell you because we haven't got the systems or the tooling or the infrastructure in place to be able to do that. And then that sparks off a whole other bunch of questions of, okay, how do we get that infrastructure? Do we need that infrastructure right now? Or should our kind of marketing technology budget be spent in other places? One simple question is just flowering into all of these other interesting strategic questions that at this time of year in particular, marketers and sales leaders need to be thinking about. Yep. And even if they, that those are all incredible points. And I do think that the question creates a snowball effect. But here's what I've found is that even when organizations do have that info and they're like, oh, if we scan a thousand badges, the thing that we do with that information is marketing then sends them two emails after the event. And we usually generate 10 qualified demos off the back of that. They're very low conversion rates to qualified opportunities. And it's like, oh, okay, I, like 10 qualified opportunities isn't nothing, but how else could you generate 10 qualified opportunities that don't involve you practically spamming 990 people to get the 10 people that actually want to talk to you? Like, how can you take a more intentional approach that gets that same outcome. If that's the right outcome, awesome. But is badge scans the best way to get there? Or is there another opportunity for us to generate that same outcome with not buying a booth, with sending more salespeople, with sending less salespeople, with not spending money on swag, with repurposing that money into a fancy dinner? Just to it seems I just so think simple. That no, but we're talking it's so about hard. It. it seems it's so simple, but it's <laughs> yeah, it's really tough. And I think one of the ways in which you know, if someone's listening and, and is looking for like a practical way of being able to at least get the ball rolling on this kind of new way of thinking about events, yeah. is 
if you've been doing a trade show, if you've been taking out a big booth at a conference for years and everyone's just bedded into the idea that this is something we do every single year, the idea of that kind of like hard stop, one year we do it, one year we don't, is a really big mountain to try and climb. Uh, a way, Maybe a way to reduce the kind of burden of responsibility on people trying to make the business case is take some of these ideas that you've shared already, Leslie, around a private dinner or thinking of some interesting way of activating your booth other than just having people stood around trying to pedal demos and just figuring out like, what is the MVP version of this that we can do alongside the trade show booth, maybe if we just don't bring one extra salesperson, and applying everything that you've said on, on this episode, a really clear objective, a really clear sense of how we're going to operationalize this idea and activate it and running it at a micro scale so you can get that data. And then next year, it's easier to you know actually present mm -hmm. something other than just an idea and say, look, we did this with barely anything. Imagine what we could do if we reduced our budget on the booth by 50% and invest it into this kind of idea. I don't know if that's something you'd agree with. Yeah, I think that's a really smart summary. Two-step approach. Step one, get that clarity on what success looks like and get everybody to agree on it so that next year, if you do want to build a business case to reallocate budgets or leave that trade show, you have some of that data that was mutually agreed to. And then step two, it doesn't have to be an or. This year, it can be an end. So figure out where to just eke out a bit of budget to try something that is experiential or try something that is that more memorable event outside of or in addition to the primary event. So when the timing is more appropriate, you have that hard data that is specific to your organization and your customers to lean on. I think this has been a really interesting and really relevant conversation, particularly at the time of the year that we're recording it. And I know a lot of um, listeners to B2B Better will no doubt take a lot of value from it. You have your own event series that you're building out. Leslie, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how people can get involved in your world? I do. I have a brand called Revenue Revelry, and they are events that are a bit counter to what we usually see in B2B, particularly B2B tech and SaaS. They're events that are rooted in mindfulness, merriment, and movement. So I have one on Tuesday. It'll already have happened, I think, by the time this airs. Very excited full-day content drop for outbound sellers. And then doing one in April in Chicago that is designed a masterclass for full cycle AEs. So very excited to be able to offer content to help sellers level up, but do it in a way where we're not just doing skill sets. We're also really investing in mindsets and mental health. I love the use of the word merriment. I don't think I've ever heard that word outside of the month of December, but it's someone, it's one that I want to throw more into my vocabulary because it's an awesome word. It made me smile when you said it, like merriment. Oh yeah, <laughs> I want to be merry. <laughs> we all want to experience a bit of merriment in our lives. Exactly. And look, just to like finish, finish off this interview, just to shine the light a little bit on, on you and everything we've been talking about today. Like when you look at these events that you're producing, what is if you can share the goal for those events, how are you going to be tracking success when you finish up the day on Tuesday and, and again in April? Yeah, so this is my first full day content drop. So the metric for me was, is it profitable? Can I make it profitable? 
And can I do it without sponsorship money? That's what I really wanted to test with this event. And the great news is, yes, we're already (laughs) past our break-even point. Woohoo! So then going in the next event would be looking at growing profit margins with sponsorship dollars. And then a sub-metric is UGC. Like I want to see what UGC being user-generated content. So I want to see how organically the event creates buzz for the next event. Like how apt are people that are in the room going to be to talk about the event without me explicitly asking them or paying them to talk about the event. Awesome. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Well, we will drop the links to at least the April event in the description of this episode when they're live. And where can people find out more about you and learn more about your work? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I post every day on LinkedIn over a thousand days I'm counting. And then I also post video content on TikTok and YouTube. On TikTok, I'm at Sales Tips Talk. And on YouTube, I'm at B2B Sales Coach. Leslie Vanettes, thank you very much for coming on to B2B Better. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you enjoyed the show, give it a rating, a review, or a follow in your podcast directory of choice. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thanks again to Leslie for joining me today, and thanks to HubSpot for sponsoring the show. See you next time.